we all feel better. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we're back here again with another episode of Better in the Dark. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it. They break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years. Got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for our benefit. Go watch a Halloween look time rather fit. So from Marvel at the movies to the Bond series. Almost two years they bout to hit 50. Episodes that is don't get it twisted. And from the start these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. We make some movies that don't need your name. Watch out studios, it won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn inside of Jay-Z. My name's B. Haven and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. It ends tonight. You got that right. I'm the optimist. I got eight of everything. This is a Better in the Dark spoiler warning. The following program features discussions of major plot points, even the endings, of recent films. If you have not seen the films discussed and don't want to know anything, stop listening now. You have been formally warned, and from this point on, we have the right to complain, bellyache, bitch, moan, or otherwise whine about it. Thank you, and enjoy the show! Oh my god, you know what? I'm sitting here and I just gotta look at your shoes. Yes. You're more of a man than I am <laughs> if you can wear stuff like that. It's just checkerboard. Folks, I'm looking at Tom's shoes and so help me. They're what? White, black, and red checkerboard. <laughs> You're a better man than I am, my friend. Right. I'm Derek Ferguson. You haven't seen the shoes I have. Procad every year they do a special limited edition of six shoes based around a certain theme. Okay. Three years ago was superheroes, and you've seen some of those. You right. Know, the Flash one and the Mr. Freeze. Two years ago was horror. Okay. So, and I have the Wolfman, which is a brown one with fur insets at the very oh, back. Oh, okay. The one last year was classic video games. Hmm. So they had one that was based on Pac-Man. Mario, one that was based on Pac-Man, Pac-Man of course. and I have a pair that I almost never wear, which is based on Centipede. I yeah. can well understand why you wouldn't wear those. I'm Derek Ferguson. <laughs> And I'm Tom DJ. And that's a weird way I know to start off this episode, but I just had to get that in. <laughs> this is the latest edition of the review show of Better in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Where Tom and I just sit and schmooze about recent movies, movies that, that we've, we've seen. seen. Yes. Did we like them? Did we not like them? Should you go see them? Mm-hmm. Should you wait... Should you beat up the directors like yeah. we did last time? Don't think you're lot off the hook, you quarantine people. Don't think you're off the hook. <laughs> Down, boy. <laughs> Dowdell, I'm coming for you. Do I have to get out the room? Anyway. <laughs> this period, which is a fall of this past year, 2008, I saw two movies, you saw two movies, and we both saw one movie, although we saw it separately. Right. So which one do you want to do first? I don't know. Which one do you want to do first? You do the first one you saw. The first one that I saw during this period was, of course, Kevin Smith's latest film, Zack and Miri Make a Porno, which had so much problems getting to the theaters that for a while it was just called Zack and Miri. Because mainly for the title. Directed and written by uh, Kevin Smith. The big thing about this is that it's the first comedy 
since Jersey Girl that's not set in the Viewisk universe. Although I don't see why it was. It could very easily. It could very well. And that's something that we're going to discuss. Let me get to the plot first. You got Seth Rogen, who is playing Zach Brown, and Elizabeth Banks, who most people would know from the Spider-Man movie. She plays Betty Brant, who is playing Miriam Linky. They're lifelong friends. They've been through everything together. And they share a house in... The outskirts of Pittsburgh. In a purely platonic relationship. In a purely platonic yeah, relationship. Yeah, they're friends. However, they're not the best record keepers. They've been very lax in paying their bills. In fact, when the film opens, they discover that the hot water is gone because nobody paid the heating bills. Then the electricity goes later on because Zach Kent got his credit card because he used the last of it to buy a plushlight which is a male marital aid in the shape of a flashlight. So they go to their high school reunion. Miriam has this rather secondary idea that she's going to seduce this guy she had a crush on who treated her like shit, played by former Superman Brandon Ralph. Oh, okay. However, she learns that A, he's gay. No, big surprise. Yeah, and B, his boyfriend, played by Justin Long, who I, I will swear on a stack of Bibles, is trying to do Keanu Reeves. It's very funny you bring that up, because when I saw the trailer for it, right. that's who I thought it was mm-hmm. at first. I think that they were playing a little bit of a joke <coughs> on that long-standing rumor about Keanu Reeves being secretly gay. Yeah, you but know, and they say everybody's yeah. gay. So they say me and you are gay. Right. <laughs> that's how you know when you've made it, yeah. when they say, say you're, you're gay. gay. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Long is actually a gay porn star. Zach gets along pretty well with the Justin Long character, and when they're trying to figure out how they're going to make the money to get all the utilities back, because mm-hmm. at the point they have like a, a fire in the middle of the, the living room to keep warm, they decide to make a porn film. First, the idea is, as Zach explains, all my favorite porn films when I was a kid were the ones that had jokey spoofs of popular movies. Mm-hmm. So they're going to make this film Star Whores. And they hire on Jason Mewes, our good friend who usually plays Jay. He plays Lester, Mm -hmm. the molester. (laughs) He reintroduces himself. One thing that's really interesting is that you have a couple of the familiar Viewiskew faces, but playing very different characters. You have a character played by Tracy Lords, who's Mm. not aged well, quite frankly. Especially after she's one of the very few porn stars that made the crossover to mainstream film. It's all about this attempt to make this porn film. What ends up happening, and it's almost like it's on a rail, this is one of the problems with the film, is that it becomes more about the two of them. Namely that they make this pact at the beginning that they're not going to get weird about seeing each other have sex while they're filming the film, but they do start having problems looking at each other. It becomes rather obvious to everybody but them that they're actually falling in love. But is it funny, Tom? It's funny if... You like Kevin Smith. And I like Kevin Smith. One of the things that does concern me about this film, and this is something that you and I have discussed, and we're going to discuss it more fully in an episode we have planned for later in the year, Mm -hmm. it's all safe territory. It's nothing that Kevin Smith hasn't covered before. Right. I'm beginning to wonder if he's gotten so gun-shy because of the absolute hell that he got for Jersey Girl. Which was undeserved. You're one step ahead of me there. It was undeserved. Let's face it. I mean, he keeps talking about all these other projects he wants to do that never seem to go anywhere because it was right. the Green Hornet film. Although at least he had the courage to say, I would suck at doing an action movie. Mm-hmm. There's this horror movie he keeps talking about called Red State. It's such a familiar territory that you might as well have just made this in Red Bank and made it a View Askew movie. 
You know what Kevin Smith is in danger of turning into? What? Our generation's Orson Welles. Okay. I can see that. Because remember, Orson Welles made a couple of brilliant mm -hmm. movies, and then for the rest of his career, he was just playing Orson Welles. Right. Now you got Kevin Smith. He goes on tours, and he gives mm -hmm. lectures. But I get the feeling that he's gun-shy as well. He's more comfortable just being the Kevin Smith that we see going around bullshitting at conventions than actually making movies. I worry about him saying, well, I've got my audience, mm -hmm. and they'll go to see my movie. And I think he understands now that his movies aren't going to make money in the theaters, but they'll make a lot of money in DVD. Right, so as right. long as he follows that same sort of set pattern. Yeah. He's not a blockbuster. Yeah. Nobody's going to give him $300 million mm -hmm. to make an epic version of Green Hornet. Right. Maybe he might pull it together to do Superman. You've never seen the script that I've he wrote. I've never seen the script. It's wonderful. I've heard it's brilliant. It's absolutely wonderful. It starts out with an action sequence where Superman stops Deadshot, of all people, mm -hmm. from assassinating the mayor of Metropolis. Okay. It goes from there to a mock episode of Nightline mm -hmm. where the guests are Lois Lane and Lex Luthor, which ends with Lois popping Luthor in the mouth. And it goes from there. It's a wonderful script, and it's a pity that, that it was never, that was yeah. never filmed. I do want to point out three actors, though. One is a Craig Robertson, who plays Axe's friend Delaney, who ends up being the film's producer. <laughs> ends up actually calling his production company Nigger Rich Productions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you know why I laugh? Because that's what I was going to call my movie company if I was start one. <laughs> He's a good foil for Zach, but his wife, who has a very brief role, mm -hmm. is this foul-mouthed, white boy-obsessed harridan. He keeps saying, like, white boys love the way I look. And she's played by, of all people, Tisha Campbell. Oh, yeah. It's like one scene. Tisha Campbell. She is so funny because she's, why you said let this white boy come into our house when you're not home? I know he's looking at me. <laughs> you, know? you hear stories throughout the film about Delaney's wife. And then when you see her, and you realize. You finally see her, yeah. It's Tisha Campbell. And the other person I want to talk is Katie Morgan. I didn't even know she was yeah. in the movie until you it's, it's a small role. So uh -huh. I, I'm not surprised that it didn't get out. Mm -hmm. Basically, she's got maybe about four or five minutes of screen time. But she makes the most but of it. But she makes the most of it, yeah. And it's just watching Martin's wife being the most foul mouthed, mm, yeah. rude woman imaginable is just. Gobstopping. And the other person I wanted to mention was Katie Morgan. Katie Morgan plays one of the other actresses in the porno film. Okay. Uh, she's an actual porn actress. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was actually quite sweet in the film. And it's interesting because you have a number of these porn actresses who are going to be doing legitimately... I mean, I'm sure you've heard about like The New Girl, which is a Steven Soderbergh film that's coming out this year. Yeah. Which is going to be about a person who's dating a woman who is a porn star. Mm -hmm. He casts Sasha Gray, one of our guy B. Hyphen's favorite porn stars, mm -hmm. to play that woman. She worked. She did what she had to do. Probably realized your chance to do something different. Yeah. I think the reason they cast Tracy Lords and Katie Morgan is that these are actresses who are used to being naked on camera. Yeah. And there is a lot of nudity in this film, and there is one very, very rude scene about a bodily function. <laughs> if you are a Kevin Smith fan, and I mm -hmm. am, mm -hmm. you will enjoy this film, but I'm just worried that this is the harbinger of things to come for him, that he's not getting out of his box anymore. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think, as I do, I don't know, you might have a different opinion, that Seth Rogen is overexposed at this point? I don't know. Seth Rogen doesn't do much of anything. Yeah, I mean, I hear all this hype about, it. oh, he's hilarious and... Yeah, well, he's funny, but he's not that funny. Taking somebody that we talked about earlier, Jason Siegel. 
who is in Freddie and Sarah Marshall. He's in a new film that's coming out this year that we saw the trailer for mm-hmm. this morning called I Love You, Man. Basically plays the same kind of character Seth Rogen does, but I think he has a lot more charisma than Rogen right. does. The guy that plays Dante's friend in... You know, Jeff from, Anderson. Jeff, Jeff Anderson. Anderson. Now, I think he's hilarious. Just like with Jason Mewes, he's playing a very different character. He's not Randall Light in this film. I'm surprised he doesn't get more work. I was just about to say you that. Because now, granted, to be fair, Jeff Anderson has become interested in being a filmmaker. Yeah. So, in fact, he's put out yeah. a film called You Should Talk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's interested more in writing and directing right. than acting, which I think is a shame because that's a guy who should be getting... Now, mm-hmm. that, he's hilarious. Anything he does on screen puts me on the floor in stitches. See, now what's popped in my head is the scene in Clerks 2 where he's like, let me show you what The Lord of the Rings was about. Oh, yeah. Part that, 1. That was the funniest line of that thing. He said, man, even the fucking trees walked in that movie. <laughs> and he's got that great scene where he calls the guy a porch a moment. Por- there you go, the little porch And moment. Wanda Sykes is there. She's like, what did he say? And he's explaining no, well, a porch monkey is a lazy person that just sits on the porch. It doesn't necessarily mean a black person. And he's explaining. And he comes out later with the jacket that says porch monkey for life. <laughs> he said, I'm taking it back. That was hilarious performance. Mm-hmm. Seth Rogen, I look at him and I say, yeah, he's funny, but he's not as funny as all this hype leads me to believe. And it seems like every time you turn around, it's a new Seth Rogen movie mm-hmm. coming out. And I just think that by this time next year, we're going to be saying, well, Seth Rogen who? Again, folks, that's just me. But like I said, we'll be talking more about Kevin Smith, about his ovier in a future episode. This is something that kind of is worrying me. I was there at one of those first screenings of Clerks way back when in that one theater with me and my editor at Fangoria, Mike Ingold went. And I fell in love with Kevin Smith right there because I guess you had to be like a retail but that was the world. Yeah. He yeah, understood that, yeah, the world. he understood the world, exactly. And now I wonder if he's not willing to expand outside of that world. What do you got? First thing I got on my agenda right here is Will Smith's yearly bid for Academy Award. Let me explain. Will Smith makes two movies a year. Right? He makes the action summer blockbuster mm-hmm. like Hancock, which he had in the summer of 2008. Right. That's the one he makes for the fans. Who likes seeing Will Smith, Jivey, talking, right. having fun, being loose and carefree. But then in the wintertime, he makes his serious movies mm-hmm. where he acts. This is his contender for an Academy Award. Seven Pounds ain't it. If he thinks he's going to win the Academy Award for this, he's not. To give you the plot briefly, Will Smith plays Ben Thomas, an IRS mm-hmm. agent. He uses the resources of the IRS to find seven people that need help. One of them is Woody Harrelson, who plays a blind man. And as a matter of fact, in one of the opening scene is where he gets into a conversation with Woody Harrelson, and he actually starts cursing him out over the phone. We follow him as he goes through these various characters, which we don't see too much of, except for Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. who plays a woman that has a congenital heart yes. defect. She can get around, but with effort, she takes about 10 steps, mm-hmm. and she got to sit down and relax. As the movie goes on, we have these series of flashbacks that explain the backstory of this character, Ben Thomas. There's this other character played by Michael Ely that we see trying to get in touch with Ben and find out what's going on right. with him. We find out that that's his brother. We also meet Ben's friend, Barry Pepper, 
who has got this mysterious mission that he's supposed to accomplish and is never specified what it is. During the course of this, Will Smith and Rosaria Dawson's characters fall mm-hmm. in love, quite naturally. As you and I have said many times, we like us Rosario Dawson. Oh, yeah. Well, Rosario Dawson, she's a great actress. I love her in anything she does. To be honest, Will Smith and Rosario Dawson make a great team. Well, they've been the Men in Black Black, Black 2. She falls in love with him. During the movie, Will Smith has this mysterious purpose that he's trying to accomplish. He wants to help out these seven people, and we don't find out how he wants to help them until the end, which is supposed to be... A real slap in the face. One of those, oh shits, right. twists in the plot. To be honest with you, by the time I got to the end of it, I didn't care. This it was one of the most excruciatingly slow-paced, dull, boring pictures I've seen in many a day. Seven Pounds is so slowly paced. And I was really surprised because the same director who directed Will Smith in The Pursuit of Happiness. Which you liked a lot. A far better movie directed this one. The pacing is so glacial. I know he takes his time developing the relationship between Will Smith and Rosario Dawson. But I mean, come on. When you have a 20 minute scene. Well, it felt like 20 minutes of them just talking. and We got to see Will Smith's angsting and acting Mm -hmm. and he's emoting. For Pete's sake, it's a motion picture. Let's have some motion. Them sitting on a hillside for 10 minutes and talking. There's a lot of talking and a lot of dancing around the issue of what Ben is trying to do. And when you finally find out, it leads to one of the most baffling scenes in the movie where he climbs into a bathtub full of ice. And once he's in there, he puts a jellyfish in the water with him to commit suicide. Just slash his wrists? No, well, you find out there's a reason that he does it Mm -hmm. when you get to the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't. Although I can't imagine anybody who's a Will Smith fan who hasn't seen it already. But I'm sure there's a few out there. But if you really want to see this movie, go ahead and spring for the rental. But I'm just going to have to say no. Don't waste your time, please. Because when you get to the end of it and you find out what it's all about, it's not worth the trip. It's a movie you really got to... Invested. As a matter of fact, me and my wife, we saw it and we kept nudging each other to keep <laughs> each other away. She didn't like it and she likes anything Will Smith mm-hmm. does. She still watches Fresh Prince reruns. Okay. Seven Pounds, I can't recommend that thing at all. If you want to see a much better movie with Will Smith being serious, go back and get The Pursuit of Happiness. Right. Back to you. Okay. Back to me in the day after Christmas. Oh, Lord. You're not going to do this. Yeah. Oh, man. The day after Christmas, and I know I shouldn't have done this. My mother had bought me gift cards for Regal, and I went into the city. What a mom. To the Union Square, 14th Street. Okay. As we've mentioned many times, we think my mom is cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though she could beat both of her asses. I went to see, even though there were alarm bells all throughout the preparation process of this film. The trailer's red flags were going up. (laughs) I went and saw The Spirit. You're a brave man. It was produced by someone who we mentioned rather favorably in our Batman episode, Michael Uslan. Uslan was a good friend with Will Eisner, who created the spirit. When Eisner died, Uslan was determined to find a filmmaker who would properly represent Eisner on screen. So he turns to Eisner's good friend, a person that Eisner looked upon as a son, Mr. Frank Miller. That sounds okay, right, so far? That sounds so like... So far, it, sound, reasoning is it all right. sounds like a no-brainer to me. So, I settle down in this movie. The first thing that comes up 
in the screen. Is Jamie King bedecked in all these jewels, claiming to be Geth, cursing out the spirit for not falling into her grasp. This character shows up every once in a while, never interacts with anybody, just like I said, to just curse out the spirit. I didn't realize that she was supposed to be playing Lorelei Rocks. One of the things, if you know the spirit, is that the spirit has a large rogues yard almost exclusively made of, of women. Of beautiful, gorgeous women. Right. That are hot for his body. That are hot for his body, exactly. So then we come to the spirit himself, played by Gabriel Macht. He does have the domino mask and the hat, the whole nine yards. And he encounters a duo of thugs about to beat up, and it's implied, rape a young woman. So he comes in. And he gets stabbed in the gut and then takes the knife out of him. Watching this movie is akin to being on an elevator. The elevator's going fine, it's going fine, it's going fine. And then suddenly it hitches. And then it starts going down slowly. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, okay, it's, it'll just go down and I'll go back up again, right? And then it starts getting down faster mm-hmm. and faster. And fa- By the time you realize that this thing is a wreck waiting <laughs> to happen, it's far too late. The thing that I think that Michael Uslan forgot to realize is that he wasn't going to get Will Eisner's vision of what the spirit was. He was going to get Frank Frank Miller's understanding of what Will Eisner's version of the spirit was. Right. Frank Miller, let's put it on the table, as much as there are things of his I like, he has a very low sense of humor, he has a very basic sense of plot, and he has a serious problem with women. Yeah. The story revolves around this urn which contains the blood of Hercules. Now, this urn is in one of two gold chests that's buried in the bottom of this river in Central City. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, in the other case, is the Golden Fleece. Now, San Serif, mm-hmm. perhaps the most important of these female villains, is busy trying to get the Golden Fleece. When, uh, wait, wait, stop for a minute. What has this got to do with the spirit? Okay. <laughs> These two cases, mm-hmm. one is wanted by Sansarif, the other is wanted by the Octopus, okay. who in a massive, massive bit of miscasting. I've read a little bit of Spirit, you've read a lot of Spirit. Yeah. Now, we know that the Octopus is just a pair of, gloves. Yeah. A pair of <laughs> purple gloves with three white stripes. That's the gag. All that, he is. That you never see him. You never, never see, see him. Your hands. When we first see the Octopus in this film, mm-hmm. played by... Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. He is wearing a big ass sombrero mm-hmm. and a serape mm-hmm. and six guns and those gloves. Later on, we see him dressed as a samurai mm-hmm. and for the big climax, mm-hmm. has Hitler. Mm-hmm. All we hear him talk about nine times out of ten in this film is eggs. He doesn't like runny eggs. He doesn't like this kind of egg. Eggs are made to be broken. Enough with the eggs, Sammy. You got a badly miscast Samuel Jackson. By the way, his handmaiden is, and you know I love this actress, Mm -hmm. Scarlett Johansson playing Silken Floss. She is, oh God, awful. The first scene she's wearing these eyelashes Mm -hmm. that look like peacock feathers Mm -hmm. that go out maybe like six inches to either side of her. And I was more concerned watching these eyelashes than paying attention to the scene. Again, what's all this got to do with the spirit? Jack fucking all! (laughs) Jack Fucking all! <laughs> when Commissioner Dolan shows up, he's this fat, slobby guy. Okay. And I'm like, that's not the Commissioner Dolan I remember. See, now you're getting me angrier than I was intended on being about this film. Well, I want to see Mount Tom blow. Helen <laughs> Dolan, who in the movie becomes a doctor so she can at least know that the spirit will come to her to get patched up, is a total waste of space. Mm-hmm. And speaking of wastes of space, and you know how much... I have beat on this actress. 
Oh, man. Metaphorically. You, you rag on her. Here's much. what I want to know. If you could do me a favor, people out there in Better in the Dark Land, find the man or woman or child or whatever who told a young Eva Mendez, you know what? You look like Raquel Welch. I want you to find that person, bring him to me. <laughs> because it occurred to me, as I'm watching her butcher, San Serif, perhaps, like I said, the most important mm-hmm. female character in the spirits canon. That that's what she's been doing her entire career. Now that you mentioned, I never thought about it, but I can see it now. She's imitating Raquel Welch. She's doing Raquel Welch. And she, yeah. It also occurs to me, it's like, that beauty mark of hers, isn't it the same place that Raquel Welch had one? Yeah. She's doing Raquel Welch, and she does not understand in any way, shape, or form what it was that made Raquel Welch such an iconic figure. Eva Mendes must have known what a train wreck this movie mm-hmm. was because a week or so after it opened, I saw her in some interview. She may have been Letterman. Or yeah. I don't know what it was. She was actually begging people to go see this movie. She was but begging, I mean, when we first see her rising people. out of this water mm-hmm. in like a, a black scuba suit, the way that, that she, she's using her body language, it's obvious she's trying to evoke Fathom. The Raquel Wells spy movie. And right? she is... Truly. Scarlett Johansson is surprising because she's so dreadful in the film. But it surprised me how dreadful Eva Mendez is, even for her. Because she's doing this kind of Raquel Welch, May West van. It's funny because they have this extended flashback in the middle of the film mm-hmm. about how Sansarif became Sansarif. And I was more interested in that actress who was playing the young Sansarif mm-hmm. than wanting to go back and see Eva Mendez. Right. I-, I swear to God, this is a major plot point in the film. At one point, she photocopies her ass. When I saw the trailers, I knew there was going to be a train wreck. And I said it in emails to people, and they said to me, well, how can you know how a movie is going to be from trailers? That's what the trailers is for. The trailers is there to show you a piece of the yeah. film so you can make up your mind if you want to see it or not. When I saw that whole thing with the line that they stole from Dick Tracy, I'm oh, on yeah, my right, way. Yeah. You know, my city then, screams. Yeah, my, like, my, yeah, when I heard that, my city screams, she is my mother. And, and I and, am her spirit. And, and he's standing on the... Well, that's not Will Eisner's spirit. Yeah. And I, and Miller, I really wish Frank Miller would stop yeah. saying in interviews that this is a homage. Miller very heavily rewrites the spirit's origin which i've heard to strengthen the enmity between himself and the octopus Mm -hmm. he indulges in these bizarre scenes that just seem to go on forever the octopus is attended to by a group of cloned henchmen who are all played by lewis lombardi and they all have names that end in oath so there's pathos yes there is one named huevos (laughs) <laughs> and there is an actual scene, and this scene has no point, where Scarlett Johansson comes across the octopus looking at a botched clone of Louis Lombardi, who's afoot with a little Louis Lombardi head, <laughs> hopping around on a table. And he's just going, man, that's weird. So, in other words, you're telling me this has got nothing to do with Will Eisen's spirit. No, it has very little Instead to do with Will Instead of Frank Miller going ahead and creating his own original character right. and doing it, he just copped the spirit's name. And I mean, and I think in private conversations, you hit it on the head, that what Lionsgate was gambling on was that because it looked so much like Sin City, that they could kind of say, we know you're still waiting for Sin City 2, yeah, but right. here's something that looks a lot like right, it. Right, this is something to keep you interested until right. we finally get Sin City 2. Any actress who comes into this film is wasted. Mm-hmm. Paz Vega, who was in Spanglish, respected Spanish actress, shows up as Plaster of Paris. First off, 
why you cast the Spanish girl to play the French girl. Right, the French girl. And she shows up in the middle of that wacky sequence which features Scarlett Johansson and Samuel Jackson dressed as Nazis. Mm-hmm. And she's dressed as a harem girl with the big sword. And she ends up stabbing the spirit. And of course, you and I have talked about the idea that they never... I don't know, gave the spirit superpowers, but there was yeah. kind of the implication that he was just really tough to kill. Right. Not in this film. He mm-hmm. has superpowers. Right. He is impossible to kill. It, no, because in the actual Will Eisner mm-hmm. story, he gets doused with this suspended animation right. fluid. The bad guy, Dr. Cobra, is mm-hmm. going to put it in the reservoir right. of Central City and paralyze the city. Of course, he wants to ask some money in order to give them the antidote. Right. Danny Cole tracks them down, and they have a fight, mm-hmm. and during the fight, Dr. Cobra's killed. Danny Cole gets doused in this fluid, and he's buried. Right. But then he revives and comes and digs out of his own grave. Will Eisen never states it, but like you said, the fluid now makes Danny Cole very tough to kill. Because he's always getting beat to shit, mm-hmm. or shot, or stabbed, but he always recovers. But it's never explicitly stated mm-hmm. in this movie. They state, yeah, okay, well, he can't be it. killed. Right. Yeah. And that's, once again, another major tie between him and the octopus. Danny Colt was just a tough guy in mm-hmm. a suit. And, and maybe the saddest thing is, this is probably going to kill this property dead for another 30 years. From everything that I've heard about this movie, and I haven't seen it yet, folks, if I can see it for free, I'll watch it just so I can say, well, I saw it. You remember years ago... There was a made-for-TV movie Sam with Jones. Sam Jones mm-hmm. of Flash Gordon fame. From what I've heard, that was more yeah. authentic than this mess. Frank Miller needs some therapy. Frank, I'm just sorry. That Frank Miller doesn't need to direct the movie. But he's going to because he's doing Buck Rogers next. Oh, jeez. I can just imagine what he's going to do to that franchise. Mm-hmm. Hollywood wanted to give him money. But fanboys went to see it, I guess. Well, it's funny because there was somebody in the theater who was a geek like myself. And we're taking the escalator down, and he's like, at least it got made. Yeah, but we can have standards. But it, we, This is the thing, once again, we oh, come they, back to this You thing. know something? They make me so sick to death. With the, at least and I'm made. talking to you. Yes, yeah. I'm talking directly to you. They make me so sick with that shit. Well, at least it got made. That's not the point. If it's a terrible movie, nobody's going to want to make another one. I think we've said this before. You've won. Geek culture is mainstream culture, people. You don't have to settle... For shit. Exactly. You can say, I don't like this. And the best way you can say, I don't like this, is to walk away. I didn't even walk in. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving my money to it. It's just that simple. I don't care how much I like the character or how much I like Frank Miller. My life is too short and my wallet is too light for me to be giving up my money just to come out and say, well, at least it got made. To me, that's the de facto excuse for fanboy who don't want to admit that they didn't like the movie and it was shit. That's the default answer. Well, at least it got made. And people, bring me that guy, whoever he or she was. <laughs> he deserves an ass kicking. <laughs> you can see what that shaped her entire life when that person said, you know, you look like Raquel Welch. And now that you mentioned, you know, I can see it. She still has an amazing cleavage, though. That was the best special effect in Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kept wondering, well, how many shots can they get away with showing her right. the, the one thing that I loved about her in Ghost Rider is how, as the movie got progressively more and more ridiculous, the buttons start popping yeah, yeah. off uh-huh. more and more. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, there's, we're talking in those terms. There's one thing slightly better than her cleavage in that film. Like I said, there's a sequence where the octopus in testing something is dressed as a samurai and he's chopping up his oath's henchmen. Mm-hmm. And Silken Floss is dressed up as a geisha. 
mm-hmm. and she's eating this apple, and she's got the little nerdette glasses on, mm-hmm. and oh my god. So that was something else. Uh, That's the it, best special effect. Sounds, That's the best special effect in the movie. It sounds like something I need to look for when <laughs> I finally watch it. So let's move on before I get any more worked up to your next film. And my next one is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Right. Directed by our good friend, Mr. David Fincher. David Fincher. We like David Fincher here. We love David Fincher. And this is a very different movie from what he usually done. He worked with Brad Pitt mm-hmm. before in... In Seven? Seven. Let me say this about Brad Pitt. Okay. We see so much of him in the tabloids and right. on the E! Channel... And Hollywood Tonight, and it's so much about him and Angelina and mm-hmm. Brangelina right. and the kids they adopt. We hear so much about that that we forget Brad Pitt really is a good actor right. when he's given the right material. And in the curious case of Benjamin Button, he is most definitely is given the right material. Here's the story in a nutshell. Let me see if I can explain this so it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. This baby is born. The mother dies during childbirth. Father looks at the baby. That he's so horrified that he snatches it out of the crib. Right. And he runs out the house and his doctor and other relatives are chasing him. Because his intention is to throw the baby in the river. Fortunately, a passing policeman sees him and he continues running until he comes to this house. And he just puts the baby on the doorstep and sticks some money in there and he runs. Turns out that this is a old folks home that is run by, and I hope I pronounced it her name right, Taraji P. Henson, who we know from Boston Legal. Okay. She's on there for a while. She plays Queenie, who runs this home for old people, and they're, they're there pretty much to die. She opens up the thing, and it's a baby, but it's a baby that looks like an incredibly old man. She calls the doctor, and the doctor comes in, and the doctor said he's never seen anything like it. He says, this baby has all the symptoms of an 80-year-old man. Mm-hmm. It's got arthritis. It's got cataracts. It's got rickets. It's got every disease an old person right. can have, and it's not expected to live. But Queenie nurses him to health. And over the course of the story, which starts at the turn of the century, the baby grows up into Benjamin, who mm-hmm. doesn't get old. He youthens. He actually gets younger the older he gets. By the time we get to the 60s, he's a young man of 30. The movie goes through his entire life where he meets Daisy, played by Kate Blanchett. Right. Now, this is weird because when they meet, he's a child and she's a child. But he looks like a 70, 60-year-old man, mm-hmm. and she's 14. Gradually, as he youthens and mm-hmm. she gets right. older, they meet it in the middle. Right. So they're around the same age, mentally. Not physically, but... You see, it gets confusing when you try to figure out he looks like he's 40, but he's actually 14. It gets confusing, because he goes to sea, and he looks about 60, but actually he's about 17 or 18. Right. It's best not to get confused with the time thing, because then you get the relationship with him and Daisy, because they fall in love. Nobody really seems to really get freaked out about mm-hmm. the fact that here's a guy that gets here, which right. is one of the things I really liked about the movie. We don't have scenes of constantly people say, oh, you look younger than you did. Right. Nobody takes it to account, because... He grows up in this house, and everybody just gets used to him, and they just treat him like another right. human being. It reminded me a lot of far inferior movie. I know people are going to hate me for this. The Tom Hanks movie, Forrest Gump, and that you have this person that leads this extraordinary life, and we get to see the passing of the century right. through his eyes and how he lives through all of these different ages. 
He lives through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. And we see how he adapts to it. This one part I really like where he looks like a greaser. He's right. on a motorcycle and he's riding in the 50s. And occasionally he comes back home and he visits his mother and he visits the old people. He's learning about life and love. And it's a really a nice, sweet movie. The relationship between him and the Kate Blanchett character is really well done. You see how she comes to terms with it. He resists her and he kind of pushes her away because he says that eventually he's going to be a baby. They already have a child and he says, well, I don't want you taking care of two kids. That's eventually how it ends up. He's a baby. But as he gets younger, what happens to old people as they get older? They start regressing. They get Alzheimer's, which is what happens to him. He's like right. a 12-year-old, but he has Alzheimer's. But everybody just thinks he's an adult-pated little boy. Right. The Kate Blanchett character knows what's really happening right. to him. And it's really heartbreaking to see how this guy who's so full of life and has lived this extraordinary life, we watch him gradually losing his right. mind. It's really heartbreaking. It's done really well. There's a scene in Russia where he has his real first love affair that's mm -hmm. handled very well. He goes to sea and the freighter that he's on gets into a battle with a German U-boat. Right. That's done very well. It's very exciting. I cannot fault the performances of Brad Pitt or Kate Blanchett, who must have the best makeup man in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Because she's supposed to look like a girl of 1820. Right. She actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they did some, some CGI, CGI tweaking. Yeah, right. That skin is so impossibly smooth and glowing. Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever had skin like that. The movie worked for me. It was one of the best movies that I saw. I saw it earlier this month when me and my wife went to Florida. Right. All of the awards that it's getting for the Oscars, it firmly deserves. Okay. This is a movie I recommend. If you're a fan of David Fincher, or if you're a fan of Brad Pitt or Kate Blanchett, this has got to be on your must-see list. Okay. As soon as it comes out on DVD, I'm there day one added to my okay. library. Because it's infinitely watchable over and over again. This movie was three hours and something long. It seemed to speed by. The Will Smith movie was about two hours, 15 minutes. It seemed like four hours. Right. Let me put it that way. And then we get to the film that we both saw. Okie dokie. 2008's Gran Torino. Starring Clint Eastwood, which, by the way, although he hasn't said yeah. it officially, it's rumored to be his last movie as an actor. Now, and the first thing he makes now is going to be, you know, behind the camera. Okay, the first thing we should say straight out is that it's not the film you're led to expect by the no, trailers. It's not. Whoever came up with the ad campaign, which makes it seem like, hey, look, it's an old white guy beating up on some Latin people and some, some gangbangers, yeah. That's not this film at all. Right. I commend them for this trailer because, as you and I have said in the past, trailers today are for shit because they mm -hmm. give away the whole right. story. A lot of movies that I tell people, you don't know that from... Well, yes, I can. If I see a trailer <laughs> right. for a movie, I can pretty much piece what's going to happen because they told me mm. there's some trailers even tell you the ending. I mean, so why should I pay my money for something that I... Okay, well, I'll wait till it comes on DVD mm -hmm. or on HBO. Whoever came up with this trailer was brilliant. You think it's going to be the old-style Clint Eastwood and kind of like a Death Wish kind of thing, or like a Dirty Harry type of thing. That's not what you get. It's the story of Clint Eastwood, who plays Walt Kowalski, who is a lifelong resident of Detroit. He was a Korean War veteran. He worked in the Ford plant. In fact, his prized possession 
is a Gran Torino sports car that he claims he helped make himself. Yeah, he built, he, yeah. He, he says to one of the characters at the time that he put by hand the steering column into the car. Mm-hmm. When we first meet him, his wife has just died. We get a little glimpse of his children and his children's family. And this is one of my few critiques about the film, is that the secondary characters are generally cardboard. In that, well, his family. Yeah, his yeah. family and the gangbangers that we're going to meet later on are one-dimensional. His family, the first thing we see is that horror of a daughter, oh, of a granddaughter, uh, yeah. who's not so subtly asking Walt if she can have the car to go to college in. No, she wants the cow. No, she wants the car first, and then she, she wants, wants the, the car. Because okay. she asked him flat out, well, what's going to happen to the car when you die? Right. I see. He should have slapped that bitch in the mm-hmm. mouth right then and there. But yeah. then she sees the cow, and she said, oh, that's a really cool cow. Yeah. He said, that would look great in my dorm room. And he looks, at, and he literally growls. He, yes, that's something that he does <laughs> a lot in this film, is he has this thing where Eastwood is so comfortable in his skin as an actor that he's willing to make himself look very unglamorous and very... There are times where he, the only way... Kowalski can communicate, articulate, is through his eyes and his mouth. (laughs) And there are scenes where you'll see a close-up of Eastwood, and his eyebrows will just get kind of wiggly a little bit, and you'll hear this... (laughs) I mean, if he's going to make one more movie, they should make a live-action Batman Beyond and let him play (laughs) the elderly, you know, Bruce Bruce Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, he'd be perfect. At this point, he's the only white person on his block. The majority of the people who are living in his neighborhood are part of a little-known Asian race called the Hmong. Right. Who have tribes in Laos, Vietnam, and, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Yeah, and right. in Thailand. I said Laos twice, I can't believe it. Yeah, they're like hill people. Right, they're, they're hill, hill people. people. Yeah. In fact, there's a family that just moved in next door to him. Mm-hmm. And he can't stand... This is, once again, one of the things you got to give credit to Eastwood on is he's unafraid to make himself look unglamorous because mm. Walt is prejudiced. He is misanthropic. He is... Everything that, that could be possibly wrong with a person. And I'm glad that we have movies now mm-hmm. that have the guts to not be PC. Yeah. Because remember, at one time, it was so nauseating everything right. had to be PC. I, at one point, one of his sons says, oh, it's all rice burner this. And it's true because he greets people by saying, hey, you dumb Polak. Hey, you stupid guinea. But that's the character. Yeah. And the movie wouldn't work if starting out with this we are the world we are the world attitude. We wouldn't have the movie that we do. This family that moves it's a single mother, a grandmother, and the the mother's two kids. One of them, Tao, played by B. Vang. Mm Mm-hmm has a cousin who is part of a Hmong gang. You've also got like the local priest trying to keep a promise he made to Walt's wife to keep an eye on him. And Walt's like going, You call me Mr. Kowalski, get out of my house. Mm -hmm. And then something happens. Tao is pressured by his and, gangbanger cousin okay. and his friends to try and steal the Gran Torino. To, they won't yeah. be joining the gang. They're saying that, oh, well, you got to be a man. And right. he just likes to be by himself and work in the garden right. in it's front like, of their like house. what Tao's sister says at one point to Walt. The girls go to college. The boys go to jail. He's pressured into stealing as his initiation. The Gran Torino. Right. And Walt catches him, mm-hmm. chases him off with his shotgun. <laughs> um, once again, one of the things that I do like about this film is that everything that Walt does in the first half of the film is purely motivated by selfish reasons. Later on, the gangbangers are trying to pressure Tao to go again, and they get into a fight that breaks out onto Walt's lawn, and Walt chases the gangbangers away. Get this off my lawn. Get off my lawn. lawn. <laughs> and this makes him a hero. 
to the, to the home wall. To yeah. the Hmong. The next day, he opens the door to his house, and there's this long line of Hmong people with flowers, and food, and food, and various gifts. And he's like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah, he says, I don't want it. Take it back. But they keep bringing yeah. it. It's a matter of honor right. with them. This is thank you. Thank you for doing it. It's like yeah. the daughter, who is the person he begins a friendship with, mm-hmm. explains, you're considered a great hero by them because of what you did. It's like, I was just getting a bunch of trash out of my lawn. And it's a wonderful relationship mm-hmm. that he builds with the daughter. Because the thing is, she's smart. In fact, at one point when he's... And once again, this is not a, a movie for people who get cowed by rough language. He comes across the daughter, Sue, who is played by... Uh, any her being harassed by three black gangbangers. So She's with her white, this white, white wigger bo- boyfriend. Yeah, who, exactly, I was about to say the right. white wigger boyfriend who, when the black guys harass him, he go, what's up, dog? And they bitch slap like, on You better be not be saying that to Yeah. You. You be, <laughs> rather than drive away, he stops and says, what are you spook? Get you spooks get away from him. <laughs> and he's like, you call me spook? You call me? Like, yeah. At first, they can't believe this old guy is, he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his finger and starts going, bop, bop, bop to the three of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this guy's crazy. And then he goes in again and pulls out an actual pulls out, gun. And pulls out the forty-five. During this conversation, she's in the truck while he's driving her home, mm-hmm. they start forging yeah, a friendship because real... you're not bad. Mm-hmm. She makes it kind of her task to draw him to out humanize, of the yeah. To humanize him. At first it's something him. simple like, why don't you come to our barbecue? And he's like, I don't want to go hang out with a bunch of towel heads. With a, <laughs> with a bunch of slanty and he's like, flat what have you eaten today? Uh, some beef jerky, some good food. <laughs> now that gets him over there. Yeah, that there. gets well, him over there. He said, well, it does smell good. Yeah. And he actually starts enjoying the food. In fact, there's that one scene where Sue comes across him in the kitchen and all the Hmong women are like just feeding him. And he's just, like, just, what is this? This is good. They're just piling right. food on his plate. He's instead eating it. Man, that's a wonderful scene. You know, and at one point he goes into the bathroom. And meanwhile, what's been going on is he's been getting obviously sicker. He's, he's coughing up blood. Yeah, and at one point yeah. he goes to clean himself up in the bathroom he looks in the mirror and he says I have more in common with these, these zipper heads these zipper heads that's a big thing zipper heads. these zipper heads than I have with my own family the person he ends up becoming the closest to is the kid who tried to steal his car right and at first he doesn't know how to relate to somebody like that because at one point Sue brings him down to the basement where all the kids are hanging out and he observes Thou being very 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 painfully shy mm-hmm. with a young woman that obviously is interested in him mm-hmm. he's like what, what's wrong with you zipper head <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't answer. So let me tell you something. I don't know much, but I know that I had the good fortune to get the, the greatest woman on earth to marry me. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do nothing if you're all you're going to sit there. She's into you. You let her go with the three stooges. <laughs> with, what would he call it? Ping Pong, Ding Dong, and Charlie Chad. <laughs> it's a great, oh man, that's a great scene. But what happens is that the mother brings the boy over right. and says, for him to make up for what he did, he's got to work for you. For a week. He's like, I don't want that. And Sue explains, it'd be a great sign of disrespect. At this time, he's beginning to... So, in fact, he lets the shaman mm-hmm. read him. Once again, Sue says, this is going to be a great honor. He doesn't offer to do this to everybody. Right. And, of course, he says, well, you're a very lonely person. You have no friends. He started telling him about himself. And once he realized, oh, well. There may be something to this. But the boy does go to work for him. And he has him fix up the house across the... Across uh, the street because he has nothing to do in there. And then other people are coming and like, could you send Dal over to fix <laughs> our faucet? It's like, I could do that. And it turns out that the boy works for him longer than a week because he's actually enjoying this physical labor and learning how and to yeah, do exactly. things. He, I think he sees something of himself mm. in Dow. This is somebody who has the same aptitudes that I used to have when I was mm. a kid. This... Friendship gets stronger. Meanwhile, those gangbangers aren't going away. No. 
first they harassed out because he gets him a job in construction. At so, a construction. Because he's say, like, yeah. you've got to get a job. He's like, well, what am I going to do? He's like, you can do construction. I know that. Mm-hmm. And he takes him to a friend of his. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's like, how you doing, you old man? That's a great scene to go into the barbershop with Barb and him mm-hmm. insulting each other. And people may find that scene offensive, but that's how guys used to talk to each right. other. They did before all this PC bullshit. Guys would come in. And you say, hey, yo, bastard, and, mm. and throw around racial epithet. And nobody got mad. They understood this is meant in love. But it's funny how we take some in there. You try to say, well, and this is how guys talk Right, and then at first, Dow says the same thing that Eastwood said. And the barber pulls out a gun and goes, <laughs> get out of my shop, you son of a bitch. And he says, what I do? He like, said, you can't just you say, can't, hey, you, you giddy son of a bitch. He said, you can't just come in and assault the man in his mm-hmm. own place of business. Oh, man. So what ends up happening is the gang does not go away. They're still trying to recruit Dow. He's trying the best way he can to get them to stay away from him. Yeah. So what does he do? He shows up on the lawn of the gang's house, waits for the guy who did the worst damage to be alone, and beats the and shit beats out of him. beats the shit out of him, literally. Now, if anybody wants to see the old Clint Eastwood in yeah. this movie, that's the scene right. you want to get it. The gang escalates and retaliates. That leads Eastwood to do one thing that... Ends this cycle right away, but mm-hmm. also ends up sparing Dow from something he would regret doing. And it's not the ending you would yeah, expect from exactly. a Clint Eastwood movie. Of course, you're expecting Clint to do one thing, but here he has the courage to take it in another right. direction. Because he, he explains to Dow at one point, after this horrible thing happens, which we're not going to spoil, there's a whole thing about he did terrible things for his country mm. when he was a Korean War vet. And he explains to Dow, you want to know what it's like to kill a man? It's terrible. And every day I have to think about it. I don't want you to go through that. And he says, the worst thing is not the things you did when you were ordered to do it. Right. It's the, the things, things you, you did. did because you wanted to do right. it. The ending is right, which is the right. best thing I can say about any story. You look at it and you say, well, there's no other way that it could have ended. We also should mention that Clint Eastwood sings... The closing theme yeah. song, which was written by his son, mm-hmm. Kyle Eastwood. A lot of people forget that Clint yeah. Eastwood sang in Honky Tonk Man. And also in Paint Your Wagon. And he did the theme song for Any Which Way But Who's with, with right. Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. And people say, what makes Clint Eastwood think he can sing? He sung quite a bit in the past. I mean, I thought this was a good movie. It's a character it's study. A, it's a yeah. character. It's a much different film than what you're led to believe. It's a study about something that you and I have talked about when you get to be a certain age. You have to choose your own family. And this is about a man who doesn't realize it, but he's choosing his own family. There's that one scene just before everything hits the fan, the beginning of that last act of the film, Mm -hmm. where he's barbecuing for these people. Yeah. And it's obvious that, with the exception of the grandmother, who never accepts him. Who never likes him. There's that very early scene when it's just the mother talking to one of the other neighbors, Mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, but I really need a man in the house. And we don't expect the man to be East, but he is. At that point, he is the man of the house. House. But it's funny because him and his grandmother spend time yeah. on their respective port glaring at yes. each other and having spinning contests. <laughs> but it's a wonderful And when, when she does explode after that horrible thing happens, because yeah. she's got subtitles throughout the film. Yeah. We don't see the subtitles then, but we know exactly oh, what she's saying. Oh, you know exactly what she's saying. It's a wonderful movie. If you're a Clint Eastwood fan, I would say definitely by all means. I mean, I understand some people's complaints that some of the acting is a little amateurish. But keep in mind that these are first-time actors. I think Annie potentially has a much further career ahead of her. Oh, without doubt. B, he's a little stiff, particularly in the early part of Mm. the film. But I think it fits the character because he's meant to be socially inept Mm -hmm. and awkward and shy. In that context, it does fit the character. I 
do think that I would have preferred a little more dimension to the secondary characters, particularly the son and the door. Although they had that one scene, the son and his wife, they're trying to convince Eastwood to go away. Yeah, they want him to sell his house. Yeah. And, and once again, you don't have to see what happens after he, that. He, gr- he growls he at He growls them. at them. And you know, the next thing you see, you see them running out of the yeah, house. Yeah, fleeing yeah. as if oh. their life depended on it. I think this is a worthwhile film to see. Without a doubt. Clint Eastwood has really, really come into his own as a mm-hmm. director. I mean, he proved well, long he's been ago quietly, he could he's been a formidable director for many, many years for like, now. what, 20 he just, years Yeah, he, he's just not one of these people that shouts it to the rafters. Yeah. Look at my body of work. Really, I have forgotten how long he's been in this business until when Patricia and I were on vacation yeah. in Florida, I caught a Maverick episode. Oh, the original Matt with James Garr. And a guest star, Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood. This was from the late 50s, right. early 60s. So he's been around. He's a guy that's had a massive... Massive body of work. To summarize, okay. you do not recommend... I do not recommend Seven Pounds, the Will Smith yearly bid for Academy Award. Yes, it's earnest, it's heartfelt, it's sincere, it's got good acting, especially from Rosario Dawson, but you just got to put too much effort into this movie for too little. On the other hand... I do nothing but give rage for the curious case of Benjamin Button mm-hmm. with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. Not only is it a wonderful character study of an unusual man with an unusual condition and how he deals with it, mm-hmm. but it's also a timeline of the century as seen through the eyes of this okay. man. A qualified recommendation for Zack and Mary make a porno. If you never understood Kevin Smith, this isn't going to change your mind. And if you do like Kevin Smith, you are going to like this film. Okay. I wish that Kevin Smith, though, would stretch himself as a director a little more. Agreed. I do not recommend The Spirit. Boo! And I am going to find this person because he deserves a good kick in the butt. Eva Mendez is not Raquel Welch. She's barely Welch's grape jelly. Ooh. Um, but I think we both agree blow, blow. that Grand Torino is a film to watch. Absolutely. So I think out of this bunch, we can definitely... So we got like one qualified and two unqualified and yeses. So that's good. Not that's bad. Good. Not bad. We didn't beat Especially it. since we're still in that kind of dark area before it's time for big blockbusters. And I don't think we beat up on anything no. too bad except for the Spirit. Spirit was really the one movie that we definitely wouldn't yeah. say see. Let's face it. There's Will Smith fans that are going to go see anything mm-hmm. he does anyway. So they're not going to listen. Ah, Ferguson character. I don't know yeah. what he's talking about. And then they're going to see it come out. Damn, Ferguson was now, right again. Now, if the Spirit <laughs> fought a jellyfish, maybe that would work. <laughs> That would have been worth seeing. The Spirit Fort Will Smith is a giant Oh, jellyfish. yeah. Oh, man. There, there we go. Oh, Will Smith has the Spirit. He has the Spirit. Will Smith has the Spirit. Fighting Will Smith is a giant jellyfish. Yeah, come on. Man. We got a movie. Let's write the okay. Spirit. There we go. Right after we finish our grand epic about the babysitting twins. Oh, yeah. We still haven't written that We haven't written that one yet for Robert Rodriguez. So, anyway, let's do the administrative and get ourselves out of here. Okay. If you love us, you hate us, you think that Eva Mendez is Raquel Welch reconstituted? Or if you just don't give a damn. You can always send us an email <laughs> at better mm, the dark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N the dark at gmail.com. And if you want to interact with us, the hosts, or the fans of the show, come on down and register on the Better in the Dark message board, which is at betterinthedark.proboards105 
bitcoinpodcast.com. Older episodes of the show are being archived slowly but surely at bitd.lipson.com. All right. So that's where you can find, eventually that's where you're going to be able to find us. Right now you can find the newer episodes at betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Still at the old Podomatic site. But, but we will be closing that down eventually. Slowly but surely. We'll let you know. They're coming out at Don't roughly worry. about six episodes a month. So we're up to episode 18 at this point. We're so. slowly but surely making the transition, but don't worry. Be- between this show and the message board, yeah, you'll know where everything we'll is. Keep, we'll keep you up to date. Um, so I guess that's it for this episode. That's okay. it for this episode. We've got coming up in the next couple months, we've got Watchmen coming up. Yeah. I'm actually going to see an Underworlds film in the theaters because, hey, it's Rona Mitra. It's Rona Mitra. I wanted to make the comment about Doomsday in this yeah. one. Remember I was telling you right. about Right. Well, we'll do that next time. I didn't think it was a terrible film. I just thought it was too much of Neil showing you his old DVD collection. Like we were saying on the phone the other night, I actually enjoy picking out mm-hmm. the homages right. to 70s, 80s action-adventure films because that's basically what he was doing with Doomsday. Right. He was doing that. Just like, and I thought he pulled it off. Don't get me wrong. I like Neil Marshall as a director, mm-hmm. and I will continue to champion him. Mm-hmm. I just thought this was a little bit of, of a backpedal. No problem for me. It's not something that I would rave for somebody to mm-hmm. go out to see, but for Rona Mitra fans like you and yes. me... And I still say I would... Definitely pay to see her take over the Laura Croft franchise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is where she belonged in the first place. Hollywood goes in cycles. Yeah. So they'll probably start up the franchise again. But you you don't think that it's wrong of me to think of it as an upgrade that they traded in Kate Beckinsale for her? Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got nothing against Kate Beckinsale, but she's one of them actresses that I look at her and I don't understand what everybody... Just that she seems so generic. And I have to to assume that the only reason people are into Kate Beckinsale in the Underworld films is because, of course, she dresses up in tight leather and kicks ass. There's really nothing about her as an actress that stands out. There's nothing really wrong with her. Mm -hmm. I don't dislike her, but I just don't like her all that much. I don't even think she's that pretty. Until next time. He's Thomas DJ. And I'm... And you're Derek Ferguson, and I got confused there for a second. (laughs) Sometimes the brain just doesn't work right. And until then, no matter whether you love it or hate it, or you think that Eva Mendez is, like, the greatest thing ever. All right, already. We got it. And I'm kicking. I'm going to find you. You and the Dowdells. (laughs) You and the Dowdells are going down, mister. I have to oh, assume sure. it's a guy who said that, is. like, trying to get into her pants probably one night after Burger King or something. But how many people know about Raquel Wells G6? I don't know. I'm you sure know, people the, still yeah. do. She hasn't made a movie in years. Yeah, but I'm sure people still do know who okay. Raquel Welch is. No matter what happens, go see, see that, that movie. movie. Good night. Take care. God bless. Except for you, you son of a I, bitch. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Michael Bailey of Views from the Long Box, Dan and Mike of Bigger on the Inside, the Joffrey Street crew, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Better in the Dark wants to apologize to the Welch's company for comparing its product to Eva Mendez. Older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.libson.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas C.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it's always better to fight a jellyfish than an octopus. Especially when the octopus can't stop talking about eggs. <laughs> <laughs>
months, I run a very lucrative operation, and I'm great eye candy. I walk away, I have my PhD all paid for.